Welcome and thank you for listening to this message from Legacy Church New Braunfels. To connect with us, go to LegacyNB.com. Now enjoy this message from Pastor Jay Miller. There's a really good story um, that uh, Chris, uh, no, it's not actually Chris, it's Jason Valton. He shares in it still, but I think it was Chris Valton's the first one I heard it from, talking about a um, wildlife sanctuary that was put together in uh, Africa. And they were having to open a new one because the park, you know, the population of the animals was growing, so they opened up more space. And so when they opened up this new park, they only brought over uh, adolescent uh, elephants. They didn't bring any mature, older bull males. And what they found in a short period of time is all of a sudden the habitat was being destroyed, like uh, destroying food sources, the trees, stuff like that, Uh, other animals. They've started finding, you know, uh, like rhinos and stuff like that, gored by these elephants. And they were like, what is going on? And the, and the reason was this. They, they figured it out pretty quickly. Is adolescent bull elephants don't know how to act in, unless they're actually trained by older bull elephants. And so what they did is they brought in a couple older, mature bull elephants, put them into the, into the preserve, and guess what happened immediately? Like, they came into alignment. Why? Because fathers are so important, Right? Women, you're important. Mother, fathers and mothers are important. What we're talking about is it's the revelation of the Father's heart. What Jesus did when he came was is he was the, the, the exact representation of the Father. It is the presentation of the Father's heart that would actually bring transformation to our society. And so if you look at the world, just carrying that analogy over, the world, the habitat that we've been placed into is full of wild animals, right, where sin runs rampant. What happens? Absent from fathers, what ends up happening is is we destroy our habitat. But all of a sudden, when you get fathers and mothers that are inserted into the equation, and the world is waiting for uh, the fathers and mothers to arise, Remember what, what the word says is that in the last days, he would return the hearts of the fathers to the sons and sons to the father, right? There's this representation of what's taking place. And so Brave Code does a really fantastic job of doing that. This is one of the hearts that we have. We, we, as we're establishing and setting up these, um, these task force in human trafficking, one of the things that we know is, is how are we going to provide healing and wholeness for those that come out, both the women and the, women, the men, on it, and, and a big key on that is a strong, vibrant men's ministry is going to be really important so that what Pastor uh, Stephen just talked about, we don't want us as leaders to be the only leaders. We want to raise up other mature ones so that as, as those are being born again into Christ, we can, we can have a place to where it's not us leading the groups. It's, it's more fathers and mothers that are beginning to do that, and that's our strategy for discipleship is over the period of time. Um, and, and that's important to understand because we can get some short-term victories by doing programs. But programs don't actually change anything, right? They're not necessarily replicatable. What we want to do is we want to, we want to uh, demonstrate what whole family looks like. And so that means that you have to have a longer strategy, right? It's going to take a little bit more time. To, and, and so we encourage you guys to do that. So whether it's the, the men's stuff, the women are going to be, uh, groups are going to be doing the same thing, uh, I think at the end of January, early February, and we'll get you some more information for that. So if you have your Bibles with you, why don't you turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, I think I left my glasses upstairs. You're getting women's glasses today, okay. Do they go with my shoes? That's what I need to know. Huh? No, sorry. 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, last week, I started a, uh, I preached a message, and I felt like the Lord said to expand upon it. 
uh, out of verse 13. I'm going to read this real quick where it says this. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, prepare your, your minds for actions. There's something about what the Lord is doing that we have to begin to prepare ourselves. And specifically in this language that Peter was talking about is prepare your mind for action. I gave you the illustration last week that, that in the old King James it said, gird, your, gird, gird the loins of your mind. I'm really glad we don't use that language because that's just a really strange thought. And, and what, it, what it's talking about is, is the, from an Old Testament perspective, the, the Middle Eastern, even to the day, will wear long robes that go all the way down the ankles. And, and what you had to do is, is it would restrict your movement from being able to run. You could not move fast. You couldn't take action. So what they would do is they would gather up the robes and they'd pull it up where it went above their knees so it could free their legs, free their knees, and begin to, to make, take action. Um, I think about the prodigal son story, and, and it's, it's the same illustration, which, by the way, if you understand the word prodigal means extravagant. A lot of times what we focus in on is we call it the prodigal son, and we focus on the extravagance of the sin rather than the most important part of the story, which, which was the one that was the most extravagant? The father, right? It was the grace and the forgiveness of the father. And so in that story, when the son's coming back home and he's looking from afar, and it says this, he, get, he gathered up, he actually humiliated himself because the master of the house would not run and certainly would not show off his legs in any form of fashion. He's like, I don't give a rip. My son who was lost is coming. So what does he do? He pulls up those things, and he starts making, like you saying, bolt, and he's jetting down the path to go get his son. All right, so with that language in mind, this is what it's talking about. Prepare your mind for action, which tells us now that we, we're, this is not about checking your intellect at the door, and this is not about becoming super human-minded in everything that you're doing. What it is, is it's saying, how do I tap into the mind of Christ in such a way that the moment the mind of Christ moves, I'm ready to move, right? So think about how fast do neurons move in your brain. It's, it's electricity, right? It's, I, I can't even, I can't uh, snap my finger as quick as a neuron would do. I can't blink my eyes as fast as a neuron would move. And so in that same way, set your minds ready. Prepare your heart. Prepare your mind to come into, into alignment. And then the same aspect of be, keep sober in spirit. It's a really important part of this. What keeps you from moving into an intellectual humanness is being sober in the spirit of God. In other words, what it says is, be so full of the Holy Spirit that nothing else can intoxicate you. Be so full of the Holy Spirit, nothing else can intoxicate you. What does intoxication do? It actually influences the way you think, the way you feel, the way you desire, right? Alcohol and drugs will uh, inhibit your, your self-control, right? But the fruit of the Spirit actually elevates your ability to control yourself according to the Lord right? And so I, I just feel like what the Lord's doing on this is, is how am I preparing myself for action? What does those next steps look like? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through all of uh, chapter 1 of 1 Peter, and then we're going to go to partly uh, about halfway through on chapter 2, and we're going to unpack some stuff as we go along. So verse 1, if you're there, say I am. I am. And I'm reading now the New American Standard Version. It says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as strangers scattered throughout the known area. This is what I want you to pick up on. Who are chosen? Let me hear you say who are chosen. 
If you're born again, say, I am. Let me hear you say, I'm chosen. Okay? It's important to understand you didn't luck your way into the kingdom. You were chosen by the king to come into the kingdom. The only part you had to play in it was saying yes. Okay? And so as Peter's going there, he's talking about those who were chosen. Listen to what it says, verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. Let me hear you say, God the Father. Let me hear you say, God the Father. Let me say it a third time. Let me hear you say, God the Father. It's not because y'all weren't repeating. I just want to emphasize the point of God the Father. Right? Almighty God, we, we sing the song, holy, holy, holy. Like, almighty God, he's an almighty God. But the only way you can understand almighty God is through the lens of an almighty father. He's a good father. He demonstrates and expresses himself. His almightiness, if that's a word, right? His holiness is best understood through the lens that he is a good father. How do we know what the good father looks like? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Everything I've done, I've done it because I saw my Father do it. Everything you've heard me say is because I heard my Father say it. It's representing, it's revealing the heart of the Father. And so again, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, sanctification means this, what you've already obtained, you grow into a greater measure of. Right? Justification is what Jesus did by his blood. He justified you. Sanctification is takes your mind, your will, and emotions, and as the Holy Spirit moves on you, you come into a greater degree of understanding of what you've already obtained, how you've already been justified. And so the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, he's the one that leads us into all truth. Listen to this. Why? To obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. So when we're talking about this again, the obedience of Jesus means the obedience of the Father. And he follows it up with, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he comes back and he emphasizes his family, who according to his great mercy, notice it doesn't say judgment. Is he the judge? 100%. The reason he can judge rightly is because he's merciful. Right? There's no judgment absent from mercy. It's, it's, not, it, it's all part of the same God. So it's really important to understand this. So according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let me hear you say has caused us. Let me say has caused me. Right? The Holy Spirit came upon you. He reveals himself to you. His mercy touches your heart. And you have an opportunity in that moment to say yes or to say no. But even in your yes, you're not causing anything. You're not causing him to like you or to love you. He already loves you. He already likes you. His, he's coming on you so he can cause the work of justification, sanctification, holiness to come into your life, right? And so when you come into this place, he caused you to be born again to a living hope. Let me hear you say living hope. How often, I didn't say this in first service, but I feel like I'm going to pick on this scab for a second. How often do you hear, my life is a living hell? From Christians. It should cause us no, no judgment, no guilt, right? But I'm saying is, is why, why are we judging our life according to a living hell rather than a living hope? I would tell you the reason the world is still in a living hell 
is because the church of Jesus Christ hasn't fully understood what it means to have a living hope. And if we moved into the perspective of what a living hope was, we would go to the places of a living hell and turn it into a living hope. Because what's hope? Not wishful thinking. Hope is the confident expectation that God is who he says he is. He's a good God. He's a good Father. He wants to redeem the world. And so, the, so all this, how are we preparing our mind for action? We're coming into alignment with what is already true according to this, a living hope. So I'll read again, verse 4, to obtain an inheritance. I'm sorry, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain, let me hear you say to obtain. So it's about receiving something, right? It's not about me getting something. Does that, the difference between receive and get, like there's a level of get, I'm going to go get some, I'm going to get mine. No, 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 no. I receive. I can't pry it out of God's hands. He wants to release to you freely so you can obtain what he's freely given you. It's a very important part. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, means it doesn't fade away. It's undefiable. Let me hear you say undefiled. That means this, the devil can't touch it. He can't touch the salvation that Jesus has. He cannot defile it. The only way that your hope can be defiled is if you agree with a lie. But even in that, it actually doesn't defile your salvation. It only keeps you in a lie. Does, it, does this make sense? And the moment that I repent, I return back to the penthouse, I change the way I think, I have full access to what Jesus... When Jesus died for you, that's as good as salvation was ever going to get. And no matter junk the devil threw at him or at you, it does not diminish one single ounce the salvation of Jesus. Right? And so when we come into this, it's an undefiled, it's imperishable, it doesn't run out, it doesn't get moldy, it will not fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let me hear you say re revealed. I talked to you last week about the revelation of Jesus. The Greek word for re revelation is apocalypse. And, and in culture, we have allowed apocalypse turn into a dark, dirty, zombie-infested world, right? Or, or, or where the Antichrist or whatever else is running around and, and all hell's breaking loose. And that's how we turn to apocalypse. No, apocalypse is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's, it's, not, it's, it's the end of the enemy. It's not the end of humanity. Does that make sense? Right? It's, it's the beginning of hope. It's, it's the fulfillment of hope. It's not the, the end of hope. And, and so it's really important when we're talking about what this looks like is what's the condition of your thought process? What's the lens by which you, I'm having to wear these glasses so it adjusts my ability to comprehend and perceive something. It's bringing it into focus, right? And so I have to understand what's the lens that's on my heart? What's the lens that I'm seeing the world through? It has to be through the lens of a living hope. It has to be through the lens of Jesus Christ, the good Father, the, the Holy Spirit and what he's doing. Because he wants to protect you by the power of his word. So that the salvation is ready to be revealed in this last time. Let me hear you say last time. What's interesting about the last time is it's not the last day. 
okay? Two different things. There's a last day. That last day is a day of judgment where all the nations, everybody who's lived or will live up to that moment is going to be brought through to the great throne and will be judged according to the blood of Jesus in the great judge. That's the last day. That's what the Bible calls the great and terrible day of the Lord because for the enemy, especially Satan, that's his last day, right? He's being thrown into a lake of fire. This is talking about the last times. For 2,000 years, we've been living in the last times. There's a revelation of the salvation that needs to be brought about in the last times so that when we get to the last day, those that are in the world who don't know him yet are without excuse because they've been, they, they had the revelation of Jesus and his salvation that's presented to them. Does that make sense? So, all that is context. Verse 6, and this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary. Let me hear you say, if necessary. I don't know about you, but every once in a while I'll read my, my word and I'll, I'll see a word or a phrase I didn't see there before. I've never, I've read through this a hundred times. I've never seen, if necessary. So I'm going to read the full, the full scripture. In this you greatly rejoice, even though for now for a while, little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. What's interesting about that? It doesn't mean that you're not going to go through trials. You'll have trials. Why do we assume I have to be distressed by the trial? Why do I assume that I have to? It says this. Even though for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by very trials. Why do I automatically go to distress rather than in the middle of a trial, God's wanting to do something in me, right? God determines what is necessary. He's bringing me about a necessary work inside of me. And so again, what's this lens of the current trial that you may be walking through or past trial that you went through or the fear of a future trial? Sometimes the fear of a future thing will just as bind us up and I need to get that out of my mindset. No, if I have to go through a trial, it's not necessary for me to be distressed. I'm actually going to be in a place of peace because that's who God is. Why? Verse 7, so that the proof of your faith, I'm going to say proof of your faith. It's a legal term, okay? So that the proof of your faith being more precious, thank you, baby. Was it not matching my shoes? Or was it too feminine? Okay. So the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which perishes through tested, though tested by fire, may be found to result, let me say may be found to result, so, so there's, there's a payoff is my point when we're talking about this. May be found to pay off in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation. Here's the apocalypse word, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 6, so I'm going to read this again in context. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Why? So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which perishes through te though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, every trial I go through should result in this, praise, glory, and honor, because Jesus is going to be revealed. Right in the middle of it, at the end of it, before it, he's the beginning, the middle, the end. Praise at the revelation of who he is. Verse 8. And though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy and inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith. Let me say the outcome. 
So we're, we're, we're outcome focused. As the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your, but your soul is your mind, will, and emotion. Today, you need to obtain the fullness of salvation for your mind, your will, and your emotions. You're going to have thoughts. You're going to have emotions. You're going to have a will. You're going to have stuff happen. And so in this place, you get to actually uh, obtain the outcome in the moment of, hey, wait a minute, I've got a sound mind. Oh, wait a minute, I've got peace. I've got joy. I've got the fruit of the Spirit. I've got wholeness. That's my salvation. I get to obtain it even right now in this moment. I just want to pick up on this part too in verse 8 where it talks about, though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice. How often are we praying, saying, Lord, I need you to show up. And hear me on this. What we just did in worship is, is if you seek me, you will find me. He showed up in a very powerful way. He did not have to show up in the way I wanted in order for him to show up. What I think this is talking about is this, is often in our prayer life, I'm wanting God to show up how I want him to show up. And if he doesn't show up, I can't love him and I can't praise him. And what this is saying is regardless of how you show up, I know you're going to show up. And when you show up, even though I can't see you, I love you and I'm going to praise you because I know I'm getting breakthrough in the middle of it. So we need to move away from this expectation that he has to show up in the way I want him to show up in order for there to be an outward joy or an expressible joy. Verse 10. As to the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. They sought to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted to the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Talking about all the prophets in the, of the old. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you and these things now which have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels long to look into. There's so much to unpack on this, but here, let's just get a couple things to unpack on it, right? It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. In other words, my service is not about what I gain out of this thing. It's always for someone else. Jesus then came to, didn't come to be served, but what? To serve. Why? He had something to bring. Why could Jesus come not to be served, but to serve, since he's the king and he, we righteously should have to serve him because his father had already provided all of his needs. He did not come into this world lacking things, so therefore he needs somebody to serve him for him. He already fully had what, what he needed from his father and from the resource of his father because he wasn't going to serve people to twist their arm. He was going to serve them to love them. It was, a, it was an untainted level of service. And so what I tell you is this, is we have to come into this place where we fully receive, we fully agree with everything that we've already obtained. Twice before the scripture, it talks about what have you already obtained? You've obtained salvation. There's something that's already in your hands. You've already grasped it. Everything you need has already been given to you. Now from that place, serve other people, not because of what you're going to get from them, but because you're giving to them the overflow of his love for them. Does that make sense? So it's a changing of the heart and the mind. It changes the motivations of the heart of how we go about ministry or why we do ministry. The other thing to look on here is this. Um, 
things the angels long to look to. It's amazing this, is that the angels do not fully comprehend the God of the universe and his plan towards humanity, this flesh and blood. They're they're, they're astounded by this plan. And, And I'll just tell you this, Satan is just a fallen angel. He doesn't know the beginning, the middle, the end. He, he has some insight into who God is and what he's already known about it. But we need to stop being so devil-centric in our thoughts and realize he's even confounded. Why would you pick Adam? Why would you pick Andrew? Why would you pick Kelly? Right? Why would you pick Ronnie? Why would you, like, he doesn't understand it and it hacks him off. Right? And what you need to come in is this, I've been chosen. I've been cho- I didn't do anything to be chosen, but I was chosen. So now, how do I steward what I've received when he chose me so that I can move about, and I need to move out of this mindset that allows the enemy to have a greater voice into what I've already obtained? Because he doesn't even understand it. Verse 13, this is why his lies are so insidious. He's going to lie to you because he's just trying to pull you away from the only one who will actually reveal to you what you need to know, Right? Verse 13, so now we get to the verse we began with. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. This is an action movie. It's a love story, so it's got, so love stories can have action too, right? There's drama, there's all this stuff, but it's an action story, right? There's going to be a moment where the rest of eternity, we're, 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 we're with him and we're resting fully in him. But even then, God's activity is going to continue for the rest of eternity. So therefore, how do I prepare my minds to become active with the things the Lord is doing? Keep sober in spirit. I set my hope completely on the grace to be brought to me at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. He's revealed, and there's hope, and there's grace in that. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. If you addressed as the Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Again, we say it often and it's important to reemphasize again. This is not holy terror. God's gonna, I grew up in a tradition where it was almost like I'm afraid that God's going to zap me with a lightning bolt because I, I said something or I thought something. Uh, it's all this guilt-ridden mess. Instead of getting to this place, I've obtained grace, I've obtained mercy, I can still be stupid, right? But, but it's not because I am stupid, right? Coming come to this place. Um, but in this place where I'm doing I'm supposed to conduct myself with fear, holy wonder, and awe of who he is. This is why he began the beginning. God is an almighty God, and he's a father. Why do I not have to tremble? Because he's a good dad, right? Why do I tremble? Because he's a good God. Does does that make sense? Some people will tremble in fear because they're waiting for this. And so my trembling has nothing to do with awe. It has to do with self-protection. Versus on this side of the equation, I'm going, no, I tremble because you're amazing. Like, my, my whole body cannot contain, like, you're so incredibly, I tremble in his presence. Why? Because he's so, it's in awe. Not in fear, but in awe. Wonder. Why do I have access to the throne room? It's that type of awe and wonder. 
Verse 18. Knowing that you, are not, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but you were actually redeemed with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. In other words, talking about Jesus wasn't just a man. He was 100% man while he's on the earth. He's always existed. He's part of the Godhead. But has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Here's the word times again. Verse 21. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Verse 22. Since you have purified your souls. I'm going to say purified your soul. So here we get, now we're talking about, remember we said, prepare your mind for action. What is a way that you prepare your mind for action? You purify your soul. Remember, mind, will, and emotions. And how do you purify your soul? One way is this. It says in 22, in obedience to the truth. I mean, you say obedience to the truth. What's the definition of truth? Jesus. I'm the way. I am the and I am the, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father. Not just Almighty God. He is Almighty God. That's not, but no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. So your obedience comes into who is he and what does he say? What does that look like? So yes, this is the truth, but the Bible can only be understood through the lens of Jesus, a living Jesus. Verse 22, so since you have purified your souls in obedience to the truth, listen to this, here's the payoff. For a sincere love of the brothers and sisters, fervently love one another from the heart. Why would I want to purify my heart? Because God is love. And I'm not talking about human love, which is up, down, in and out, highly conditional, right? It was that old Johnny Paycheck song, looking for love in all the wrong place, Right? It, like, you're never going to find what you're looking for, right? But, but in this, obedience to the truth, why pay off? For a sincere love, a sincere love for each other. The world will know me. Why? Because your love for what? One another. The only way you're going to know love for one another is if you know his love. It is, there, there's, a, there's a track that we have to go down. For you've been born again, not a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. I'll read that again. For you've been born again, not a seed which is perishable, but imperishable, and is through the living and enduring word of God. Verse 24, for all flesh is like grass, and all of its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. It's an important part of this thing is who does not in, who does not fade away is Jesus. That's why our hope is in and important. That's why we read the word. Verse in the end of that verse. And this is the word which was preached to you. Now look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Anytime you, you, you see the word therefore, it means you need to have read the previous context, right? So everything we just talked about. Therefore, in light of what we just read, Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Why is that important? It's contrary to love. Right? 
Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. There's no love in that. And you just obtained an inheritance in the one who loves that purifies your souls so that you can actually love as he loves. And, and, and how did he love, in a way, those who hung him on the cross? And I think we would all agree, he had a reasonable right to be angry with those that put him on the cross, which includes you and me. Which is blow your mind, right? And yet, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Why? Because they've been separated from truth the entirety of their life. And I'm on this cross so I can reconnect them to the source of life, the source of truth, and the source of love. Okay? So now, therefore, I'm talking to those who are born again. If you're born again, say I am. This only works if you're born again. You can't get rid of malice and deceit if you're not born again. You can do it temporarily, humanly. You can be a good person, but being a good person does not actually make you holy. It doesn't set you apart. The only way you can do this is by being born again. So therefore, rid yourselves. That means this. I'm going to be presented with opportunities to bring malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander and when I'm presented with the opportunity, I go, no, get, it, get rid of it. What is, the, what is, uh, is, it, um, is it James? Resist the devil and he must flee, right? Every time I'm presented with a light, resist it, it has to flee. It's not a part of me. And look what it says, verse 2. And like a newborn baby, long for the pure milk of the word. Like a newborn baby, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow. Let me hear you say that you may grow in respect to salvation. So when people have studied this, I remember um, it's been a few years ago, I was doing a study through what happened to our seminaries and things like that. During the Vietnam War, um, the, the, a lot of seminaries turned and academia turned. And part of what had happened was is that during the Vietnam War, you know, those who were going to undergrads could actually, you know, get a deferment from going, being drafted. And then it got to deeper in the world war where they removed the deferral for uh, those who were, got bachelors, but they kept it for those who would get post-grad work. What ended up happening is there's a lot who did not want to go into the war that ended up going to higher levels of academia, including in seminaries in the church. Not because they knew God, but because they were avoiding a war. And academically... They could know the Greek, the Hebrew. They could know the ins and outs of history. They could, they could teach this better than I could teach this to you academically. But they never knew the author of the book. They had not obtained truth. They weren't connected to the truth. And so therefore, even though they could teach something, this actually became a lie in the hands of those who don't actually know him. Right? So when we're, when we're pressing into this, the point of what I'm looking at is this, is, I need to grow in salvation as I grow in the Word. If you're not growing in salvation and what you've obtained as you read through this, you're, you're approaching it from an academic perspective. You're not produce, approaching it from a place of life. And I just said earlier, you don't have to check your intellect at the door in order to know this thing backwards and forwards. In fact, that prepare your minds, again, I'll, I'll just go back to it, says this, the intellectual part of your brain. I can't remember, left brain, right brain, which one's the creative one, which one is the, you know, the, the intellectual side of it. But, but what this is saying is, is don't just sit on the clouds and dream with God. Not on that preparing. It means 
prepare the way that you intellectually process information so you can move into a place of action, right? So, so we should be the smartest ones on the planet because we have the greatest book on the planet, right? Y'all good? All right, so let's, let's finish this up. So I'm going to read verse, two, verse 1 again. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. And like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. This is how we know it's, he's talking about that. Verse 4. Coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by people, but it is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's just pause there for a second. Jesus is called the chief cornerstone. What is a cornerstone? It's the, the, the stone, the biggest stone, the largest stone that goes to the corner of the building. It's what serves as a plumb line for the rest of the building. So we're coming to this place, so we need to understand that, that how do I gauge my thought process through the plumb line of Jesus, through the cornerstone of who he is, how he thinks, how he feels. Why? Because the world has rejected him, right? But we who know him are being brought into an alignment with an understanding. It's a very stout thing when you talk about a chief cornerstone. Why? Because you also are a living stone. Let me hear you say a living stone. We have to remain flexible. We, we have to remain pliable in the hands of the Lord. That talks about our hearts, relationship, engagement, things like this. But when it comes to the truth of who he is, we must be a stone. Right? Who is God is resolute. Who is Jesus Christ? It's, it does not change. It's not malleable. It's not, it's not, it can't be molded. It can't be shaped. You can't massage who Jesus is as God, as King, as Messiah. You can't massage. All, he is who he is. There's got to be some things that we, in our mindset, when we're preparing our hearts for action, going, there is non-negotiables. I will not negotiate with the enemy when it comes with whether Jesus is God or not. Right? I will, not, I will not actually bend the knee that says, I'm not beloved by him. I, I, I will not bow the knee that says that anything's in, anything is impossible for God. Th- does this make sense? Right? So you need to become resolute in the things that you must become resolute on because he's the chief cornerstone by which the rest of the church is being built upon. And we have to have some solidity to what we're actually building on. The doctrines of the faith, who God is. This is how you sharpen your mind, prepare your mind, heart for action. You come into alignment with what you've already obtained. Why? Because it's not perishable, it's not defiable, and it will not fade away. Right? That's a stone. That's a rock. It's not dust. Does that make sense? And what did I tell you last week? Time to knock the dust off your feet and move forward because you're moving forward in the rock. Verse 6. For behold, I am a laying in Zion, a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and the one who believes in him shall not be put to shame. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for unbelievers... It becomes a stone which the builders rejected. This became the chief cornerstone. 
and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they're disobedient, what? To the word. And to this they were also appointed. Talking about people, every person on planet earth will be presented with an opportunity to accept Jesus or not. Some of them humans will preach to. And it's necessary. We have to preach the gospel. But there's also, right now, uh, Jesus is appearing as the man of white, and we've been talking about for several years, to Muslims in the Middle East. He's, he's like, the Lord is showing up, and I'm going to show up to them. I'm going to give a revelation to who I am, right? He will present to all of humanity, and some will reject him. Some will accept him, right? But who are you? This is what it says now in verse 9. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. I think the King James called it a peculiar people. When they were translating, peculiar was kind of a word they would use. In other words, that when it used choice, like if you've ever gone to a steakhouse, you want the choice steak, right? You don't want the afterthought steak, right? You want the choice meat. You want something that's going to be tender. It's going to be really, really nice. In the same way right here, this is talking about a people who are chosen for a particular purpose. So I want you to just repeat after me. I am a chosen person, part of a chosen people. I am a royal priest in the royal priesthood. I am part of a holy nation. I am part of a people for God's own possession that I might proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Declarations. Declarations. This is a really important piece of what we're talking about. Look what it says here. You're a chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Listen to this. So that you might proclaim. Let me hear you say proclaim. It's the preaching of the word. It's, but it's not just... A, a throwing a word out in public. The proclamation carries legal um, weight to it. It's a legal decree. This is why James talks about, he says, man, the tongue, out of all the members of your body, the tongue is the biggest pain in the butt because it can lead you astray. It'll set the world on fire. Talk, it can, you know, compares it to like a mule, right? It, it compares it to uh, the, the, the rudder on a ship, big, huge ship, and it's like it can steer you into all kinds of different directions. And, and what I'm going to tell you is this, is we were meant to set the world on fire, but on fire for Jesus. And so when we look at this thing, we shouldn't shy away from our proclamations. What we should do is bring our proclamations into alignment with his proclamations. The only way you can do that is we go back to the verse that talked about earlier. Purify your soul. Let me hear you say purify your soul. According to the truth. Right? Why is this important? The overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I'm just quoting scripture to you, right? So the overflow, the condition of my heart, I purify my heart according to the truth of who he is, who I am according to him. What I've obtained through him becomes like a rock within me. It becomes a plumb line within me by which now the declarations of my mouth, the overflow of my heart, I declare the goodness of the Lord. I declare the excellencies of the Lord. If I don't believe that I'm actually a chosen person, but I'm a cursed person, the declarations that will come out of my mouth are going to be curses. This is why we, when we have to be so careful in our self-talk. 
We do something, we make a mistake, and we go, God, I'm so stupid. What did I just do? I set myself on fire with a lie. I made a, de- a royal proclamation about myself according to a lie instead of going, no, no, I'm a chosen person. I made a mistake, right? We always talk about I'm righteous, I'm holy, but I didn't lose my ability to be stupid. Adam and Eve, let's just go back to it. How were Adam and Eve created? Were they created sinful? No. So when they sinned, did they do it because they had a sin nature? Or because they used their will to make a stupid choice? Because they actually came into alignment with a lie of the enemy, another truth they allowed to come down into their heart, it changed the condition of the heart, and then the overflow of the heart, their mouth spoke. And this is all I'm telling you right now. Jesus is coming back. Know what you've obtained. Know who you are in Christ. Know what I've said about you. Let it become a rock inside of you. Why? Because I want you to become, look, at, look what it's talking about, a chosen people, which means this, throughout all the earth, he wants everyone there, but when he chooses you, when he selects you, it's not an afterthought. He's not going, I'm stuck with them. I used to play basketball a lot, and I remember playing basketball on, on, the, on the, uh, the playground. And there was always that one or two kids. Thankfully, I was good enough where I wasn't the last kid picked. There would always be one of those two kids. You're like, oh, gosh, I don't have to pick him. Right? You know, so you pick everybody else. That's why, what's the, uh, the commercial when they got Charles Barkley, you know, is on the, you know what I'm talking about? He goes, it's, it's the easiest choice in the history of forever, you know, and, and it comes out this place. And he's like, Charles Barkley and this other little kid being picked. And he's like, I'll take Charles. He's like, yes, I still got it. Like, you know, like the other kid is like, man, I can't even beat this old man. The, the point of the matter is this. I, I, I chase a rabbit trail. Come Holy Spirit. Let's get the dove back. Chase, chase the dove. Yeah. Well, it wasn't really a point. It, it, it took me in the direction I shouldn't have gone. But picking up, picking up the wrong thing. I'm a chosen person. Can we hit the rewind button? Do it with me. Okay. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. What does it mean to be a priesthood? You serve the Lord. You're not an afterthought. You're not, you're not just some, you're not the janitor, and I'm, I, I, I've worked as a janitor, so I'm not downgrading the janitors at all. What I'm saying is you're not the, the janitor at the temple. You're a royal priesthood. And if you're a janitor, be a royal priest as a janitor. If you're a school teacher, be a royal priest as a school teacher. If, if you're a stay-at-home mom, be a royal priest as a state. Do you get what I'm saying? The point of the matter is you actually carry a title. You carry a role. You carry an authority. You're a person. You're a part of a holy nation. Why? You have an opportunity to be able to proclaim the excellencies. What's interesting about this word excellencies, it's only used a couple times in all of Scripture, and we've read both of those times. The other uh, excellencies means this. Virtues, powers, and excellence. Virtues, powers, and excellence. Virtues, powers, and excellence. What's on your tongue about you? What's your self-talk? Are you talking virtuously about yourself? Are you building yourself up? And I'm not talking about, like, fooling yourself. You know, you did something stupid, like, oh, no, no, it's going to be okay. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, no, I am who God says I am. What's the truth that he says? Come until I'm that. Prepare your heart. Prepare your mind for action. Stay sober in the spirit, and then watch what God does. And we're just going to be real honest here. I got, I got into a weird rabbit trail there, so we're going to bring it back on here. Verse, verse 10. 
For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as foreigners and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul, keeping your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God on the day of visitation. Here's what I'll wrap up with this. Why am I doing this is not just for my benefit. It's for the benefit of the people out there, right? So as I come into alignment with, I have to understand, remember, the, the prophets of old did not understand who they were serving, right? But they knew they weren't serving their own purpose. They were serving the Lord, but then they were serving you and me who would be the ones that would see salvation through Jesus Christ. In the same way, if you've received salvation, I need to understand which are the ones out there that need to hear the good news of the kingdom. And even if, and right now we're seeing in our society and our culture, um, in fact, we got, we got a, a tag from Facebook because I'd made mention, I think, about the uh, transgender law that was going on in Ohio or whatever, and we got a little flag of it. And it's like, why? Because I'm making a statement of righteousness. I'm not bagging on people. I'm just talking about this. And what is, they're going to slander you. But here's the thing. If I continue to demonstrate what love, mercy, and grace looks like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What it means is this, the day of visitation. Let me hear you say the day of visitation. That could be the last day, but I don't think that's what it's talking about. Jesus is going to visit them. The Holy Spirit is going to visit them. They're going to be in a time of trial or need, and Jesus is going to show up and say, hey, you know your neighbor who you've been slandering because they're a Christian? They actually been talking to you about me. Everything you have in a desire in your heart to be whole, to find happiness, to find peace, they're talking about me. And in that moment, because they've seen the way that you and I live our life, not the way the world lives our life, but we continue to, because once we've received mercy, we demonstrate mercy. And the time they have a visitation of the Lord, whose house are they going to be knocking on? Yours. I was visited by Jesus. This is why he shows up as a man in white. And there's Christians that are waiting for them, saying, hey, has anybody seen the man in white? Remember Paul, who on the road to Damascus, he's made blind because he was going to persecute the church and kill the church? Jesus shows up, knocks him off his high horse, blinds him, and then he sends Ananias to go and say, hey, I'm going to send you to Straight Street, right? As a visitation, this is the purpose. How's God wanting to visit you? But how's he wanting to visit your neighborhood through you? So why don't you stand up with me? I'm going to make this declaration over you, and then we're going to have you pray. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. I'm just going to declare it over you. To those who have received a faith, I declare over you in this room, if you're born again, say, I am. I just say right now, you've received, you've obtained a faith that Jesus gave you. If there's anyone in the room or anyone watching online right now, you've never obtained a faith directly from Jesus. It's time to be born again right now. Just give your heart to him. Confess with your mouth Jesus is your Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Obtain the same faith that we have in this room right now. But let's declare over those present right now. By the righteousness of God and Jesus our Savior, grace and peace be multiplied to each of you. 
grace and peace be multiplied to each of you as you experience the knowledge of God, as he visits you. For his divine power is granted to you everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness. And so I just release to you now an open mind to receive everything that God wants to give you that pertains to your life and his godliness through a true knowledge of him who's called you his own through his own glory and his excellence. I just declare right now, I, I call your minds to know he's granted to you precious promises, magnificent promises, so that by them you may become a partaker of the divine nature of Jesus, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. So just ask this question, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? How are you aligning me with the plumb line of the chief cornerstone, Jesus? Are there any thoughts, any beliefs, any declarations that are out of alignment with the plumb line that I need to realign? If you brought anything to mind, just, just repent of it. Return to the penthouse. Change the way you think. Come into alignment with the declaration that says you are his chosen person, part of a chosen people, part of the chosen royal priesthood. You're his own possession. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness today. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're shifting us, Lord God, to where we can be, become not just receivers of something, but we can give it away. I'm going to declare this in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you so much for joining us as we seek first after God's kingdom and release it to transform lives and cities. If you would like more information about how to grow in the kingdom or connect with Legacy, go to our website, www.legacynb.com.